KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. We have been paying a lot of attention to the January 6th committee investigating the insurrection of the Capitol, and we've put together a couple of podcasts talking about what we've learned in the public hearings. With a break until these hearings resume in September, we kind of wanted to take stock of what we have learned so far and the impact that they have had. But since the last hearing, there have also been so many developments on multiple fronts connected directly to former President Donald Trump, like the FBI searching Mar-a-Lago, also connected to the committee or adjacent to the committee, like Liz Cheney losing her GOP primary in Wyoming. We wanted to talk about all of this now, so we caught up with Ben Berger, Associate Professor of Political Science at Swarthmore College. He is also the Executive Director of the Lang Center for Civic and Social Responsibility. So we have been checking in throughout the January 6th hearings, and now that they are in the books, at least this set of them, we're expecting more next month. Uh, we wanted to kind of talk about where we are. And also, there are so many things that are either adjacent or kind of connected that have happened outside of the scope of the hearings. We want to talk about that. But first, let's focus on these hearings. I think they have been incredibly effective. We have talked about this before. I was not expecting much. I didn't know that they would move the needle. Uh, I think I was wrong. They have presented uh, the case of what happened in very clear, concise ways. They've done them in very media-friendly ways. They've done them in ways that uh, are easily digestible to people. And uh, I think it has kind of moved the Overton window of expectations on ramifications from this. How about you? I agree with you. And we it's amazing just how much things have changed in the time that we've been talking, which has been around since June through now. When we started talking, I think we both felt like, look, we've seen things like this before. There's been impeachment of Donald Trump before as well. I mean, a certain kind of hearing. And so we'll just see. But it's very difficult to pin him down with anything. And we'll maybe it's the kind of thing where people's minds are all made up. And then we got to see this kind of bipartisan, but really led by Republican effort that seemed methodical. It seemed planned out in different stages to first set up the idea that there was a kind of a mindset, a conspiratorial mindset, a way of doing business in Trump's inner circle, and then methodically take us one by one through a bunch of different events and testimony, much of it by Republicans, which was the ethos play. I, I've been thinking about the, the kinds of ancient rhetorical approaches that Aristotle describes, ethos, logos, and pathos, and ethos is the character play. You try to say, hey, we're like you. Listen to us. We're the right kinds of people. We're just like you. And when you get Republicans talking to Republicans out there, it's a different kind of message than if you just have Democrats. And Jamie Raskin is a fine person, but Republicans are not going to listen to him. So I've been very impressed with their ability to do that. It was the surprises, though, that have surprised, surprised each of us. It's been the, the testimony by Cassidy Hutchinson that was surprising. It's been the Secret Service texts that's been surprising. And now, of course, it's been the Mar-a-Lago raid outside of the outside of the hearings that's been surprising. And so that's really moved the window much further than we could have anticipated even as you know recently as two months ago. And there there's just so much to talk about. I think the thing that in the big picture, I think these hearings have done is they've put to rest a lot of people defenders of Donald Trump, specifically with January 6th, talk about it being a protest that just got out of hand. And the, there, 
we get so carried away with Sidney Powell talking about release the Kraken and the many, many silly things that Rudy Giuliani's done. And it gave all this trying to overturn the election kind of a farcical look. But I think these hearings have kind of pointed out that there were multiple plans on multiple fronts where they tried to push the envelope to try to get things to go in Donald Trump's favor. You know, it starts with the election. Then it, it's the lawsuits on multiple fronts, throwing everything against the wall. And then once the lawsuits fail, then the focus is on the electors and trying to get multiple sets of electors from states that Biden won and get an alternate, not multiple, but it is multiple. Uh, then that doesn't work. They put pressure on the vice president January 6th. That doesn't work. And then finally we get the violence. I think this shows, this is a much more connected thing than I think a lot of people thought that this was just ham-fisted and it really, when you dig into it, wasn't. Yeah. And it goes back again to Steve Bannon's strategy of flooding the zone with stuff. If you flood the zone, if you put enough things out there, try this, doesn't work. Hey, move right on. Try that. Try this, doesn't work. Try that. And they're intersected in a way. They are ham-fisted in a certain way, too. But the main thing is you sow so much doubt. You show so confusion and fear among your enemies who are just trying to prod different brush fires one by one. And among the people who are kind of on your side, there's this just sense of, well, there's so many things being claimed. At least some of them have to be true. Now, of course, it's possible that none of them are true. But that's the strategy for it, and that's what's unrolled. Uh, now, Liz Cheney, towards the end of the hearings, said, pointed out what some of us have seen for quite a long time, that Trump's defense has changed over time. At first, it was deny and delay. And now that there's been recognition, I mean, by seven and eight of the, the hearings, seven and eight, once there was recognition that the committee had established certain key facts and that Trump aides all had told him that the election was not stolen, for example, now they shifted gears and said, well, actually, uh, he was manipulated by others outside the administration. Blame the crazies for what Trump did. Throw John Eastman, throw Sidney Powell under the bus. And so as different things came to light, there were testimony from Georgia officials about the damage that was done. Republicans damaged under the reputation to their lives. Um, Trump and Giuliani pressuring them to find votes. We saw things happen in Arizona, too. Uh, Trump they tried to continually take the legs out from him, under him and show that that actually it wasn't the case that he just didn't that he believed what was what was uh, that there was really a, a stolen election. He couldn't have believed that he was told by reliable people. And then once that was established, well, actually, it was the case that he was misled by people who weren't even in his administration, which is kind of a, an amazing thing to say that you're relying on people outside of those in your administration and they're steering you wrong. And it's interesting, Donald Trump at the same time, and this kind of goes with the idea of flooding the zone, is portrayed as the all-powerful leader, but then at the same time also portrayed as, well, he was, to your point, he was being manipulated by people on the outside, and it's not really his fault. So you kind of, you know, you they try to have it both ways, where he's either this strong man or he's this person that's easily influenced by a drunk Rudy Giuliani. Like, it, it's very hard to have this portray this as the same person i think that's right uh, there's there's this thing that, that that um sigmund freud wrote about that's been called kettle logic that's basically consists of making a number of different statements in your defense but that are contradictory with each other so the idea is that somebody is a, goes to court and is accused of having borrowed his neighbor's pot or his kettle and he says well i didn't here's here's on returning it broken 
And what the guy says is, yeah, listen, um, I borrowed it, but I returned it in perfect condition. My second argument is that I borrowed it, but it was broken when I borrowed it. And the third one is I never borrowed your pot in the first place. That is the kind of thing, those conflicting things that we're seeing in just the things you laid out there, that it doesn't jibe, that there is first one person who's all powerful and all knowing. And then also that same person has just been mid-led by those who you know sort of took advantage of him. But I want to say one more thing about the strategy that Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, others have used in, in the hearings, which has been really smart. So I mentioned ethos, logos, and pathos. And ethos, again, is the is the character play. It says, listen to us because we're like you. We're one of you. Uh, they've also gone out of their way to try to say to Trump voters, look, you know what? You were deceived by Donald Trump and those in his administration. It's not your fault. You have a way out. Because Trump and those people in his administration, they knew what was really going on or should have known. You didn't. You didn't have access to that information, you voters. So you can still back away from this and not lose any face and realize that if you cast this person aside, you could keep on going being Republican if you want to. But don't just don't side with this person. And whether that works or not remains to be seen. Right? The logos play they made was keeping on uh, uh, making a logical attachment to the number, 187, 187 minutes. What was he during, doing during those times? The pathos was trying to get our emotions going, including Republican emotions by thanking law enforcement officers, for example, the DC law enforcement officers. But ethos often gets overlooked and I think it's really important. And that is one of the things, again, they're trying to do to separate Trump supporters from Trump himself. Another thing that I thought was incredibly damning when you look at it through the lens of the way this was laid out, you mentioned 187 minutes. There's that, it's that three hours, seven minutes where Donald Trump, it's not what he did, it's what he didn't do. You know, when everyone, when hell's breaking loose on the Capitol, he could, by releasing a video, authorizing the National Guard, any number of things he could have done that would have ended it, and he didn't. And when you look at that through the lens, also, when it was kind of highlighted how when the rally on January 6th began, he was upset that they were keeping people that were armed outside, and he wanted them to take away the metal detectors and basically said, I know they're not here to hurt me, let him in. So a group that he knows is juiced up and armed that he knows isn't there to hurt him. And when they go sideways, he doesn't do anything. I think that is incredibly damning the way that that is, that is laid out and shows intent and shows uh, just a lot of bad things. I agree with you. I think what you're pointing out ultimately is, um, what is the person's bottom line? Who is the person? Who does a leader consider to be stakeholders and my people? And ultimately, I think what we've been seeing is Donald Trump's ultimate stakeholder is Donald Trump. Now, look, only some bit of that can be surprising. We all know that that we think about politicians as being at some level fundamentally self-interested. They want to get reelected, et cetera. In some cases, they want to stay out of jail. But there are levels and there are levels. And we are seeing some people like, for example, Liz Cheney, who just lost her primary challenge in an unexpected, it was, it was uh, sorry, in an expected in a way. She got crushed and that was expected as well. This is somebody who I happen to disagree with Liz Cheney on a great many policy things. Right? I'm not going to forget about that and suddenly say, now we're completely, we're going to work together on everything. But I respect the heck out of Liz Cheney for, for following her principles and her values and calling upon others to do that as well. So there are politicians who will do that. And Donald Trump is not. Every step along the way, it is what will it take to get me advanced? What will it take to get me to win? In this case, I want to win. It's the art of the deal. 
And the what you just mentioned about letting in armed people was just one of those things. He wasn't concerned with their safety. He wasn't concerned with the safety of those around him or the police officers there. He was concerned with getting some kind of circumstance that would let him to stay in office. We need to take a break. We will have more with Ben Berger of Swarthmore College right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. And we are back continuing our conversation with Swarthmore College's Ben Berger on KYW News Radio in depth. I came into the hearings very skeptical that we would see actual consequences for uh, people at the top levels. I'm not talking about the people that dressed up like a shaman and were, you know, doing things in the Capitol and fighting with police. Uh, but I I have completely backtracked on that because I do think uh, we'll talk in a little bit about Donald Trump's legal jeopardy. But I think one thing these hearings kind of laid out, uh, people like John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, a lot of these people, Rudy Giuliani, I think we all kind of knew, you know, but a lot of these people that the average American really had no idea that were working really hard to push this thing at the highest levels. Uh, I think they've shown a lot of, uh, they're in a lot of legal jeopardy. And now I frankly would be surprised if we don't see a lot of these people uh, brought up on charges. Yeah. And, Neither of us being lawyers, it's difficult to know uh, what might happen. And also, even more so, even if we were attorneys, we don't know what the evidence actually is that's, that's, that will be able to be advanced. So it makes speculation difficult, but it certainly makes that window possible in a much, uh, in a much clearer way. When we started talking earlier in the summer, I was skeptical, let's say, of the Watergate comparisons that a lot of people were making. Skeptical might be too strong. I just wanted to point out that actually there were similarities and dissimilarities. And I use that that metaphor of uh, that uh, Mark Twain talked about history not echoing but rhyming, and that maybe the better one to use would be that history can half rhyme. Uh, it, it, it comes up with things that kind of sound like the past, but they're not exactly like it. And so I said, Watergate, you know, it's really, there's a lot of things that aren't like this now. Things have gotten a lot more Watergate-ish in the past couple of weeks. And that includes, as you're talking about here, the prospect of at least some people uh, doing jail time, which happened in Watergate as well. As more evidence comes to light, as we see evidence of, of destruction of evidence of the of the Secret Service destroying texts, as well as um, you know, there's allegations by Maggie Eberstam in this forthcoming book of hers that, that Trump himself was known to flush documents down the toilet all the time at the um, you know, at, at the White House, or just the, what, what he has done with the, the documents that he's taken Mar-a-Lago. All those things change the spectrum entirely. And suddenly that Watergate thing, which I, again formally was like, yeah, yeah it's kind of like that, but in a lot of ways it's more like Army McCarthy. In some ways, it's more like, you know, um other kinds of Iran Contra, it got much more Watergate-ish. And you mentioned, I think one thing that kind of has come completely out of the January 6th hearings was this Secret Service angle. Uh, all these deleted texts and and everything. And uh, I think that these hearings have put a lot of pressure on the Secret Service. And I think, frankly, they've damaged a, a, the, the reputation of the Secret Service, because I think a lot of people thought that this was a group that really pushed to do the right thing. And this has shown, at worst, at least some parts, ill intent, and at best, you know, incredibly sloppy and uh, a lack of attention to detail. It has. And, and really, that concerns me. I wish it concerns me so greatly in a way that I wish it hadn't happened in quite that way. 
I would like there to be, if there was wrongdoing, I want evidence to come to light of it. But what saddens me is the Secret Service is one of the institutions that is, is reeling right now as an institution, as an institution that could have public trust. The FBI is another one. But really, I think that there is a, a, a much broader loss of trust and faith in institutions that includes the government and the Secret Service and the FBI, also the mainstream media, a loss of trust between citizens, a loss in trust of demonstrable facts, because you see all the kind of science doubt and doubt of, of experts out there. And so, yes, the Secret Service stuff is fascinating, troubling. I, I do very much hope that anything that was destroyed can once again come to light. So that's an interesting thing to talk about is just a larger sadness and fear that I have that these things have damaged a, in, among quite a lot of citizens. Um, a sense that once was there, that you know what, there's a basic decency and trustworthiness in our main institutions. And once that goes, and once the faith in norms and institutions goes, it is really only a few steps to much darker things like the things that happened in Germany in the 1930s. You mentioned Liz Cheney earlier, and it's interesting because you mentioned she lost her primary as we're talking, it was a couple days ago, to the surprise of absolutely no one who had been paying attention. And she didn't just lose. This was not a 55-45. I mean, she got hammered for not being conservative enough in Wyoming with the last name Cheney. Like, she voted with the Trump administration with 93% of the time. Her only sin is that she wouldn't go along with the big lie. And I think these... I don't think Liz Cheney in the history books 50 years from now in an alternate universe where Donald Trump never became president uh, would probably mention much more than, you know, she served as a congresswoman from Wyoming for X amount of terms, uh, elevated to number three uh, in the House, you know, but now she's been elevated to almost superhuman status. There's talk of her running for president. Uh, she now you know, still has several months in office with absolutely nothing to lose. And Donald Trump's in her crosshairs. It's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. But also, I don't think anybody could have drawn this up a year ago that Liz Cheney would be excommunicated from the Republican Party and become really the number one threat to Donald Trump. It's right. And the the Wyoming thing makes it more all the more astounding with her, the family connections there. And that I think that she is a really true and, and traditional conservative. Um, there is that in that talk, you've said that she's not conservative enough invoking your principles, but actually this, there's a single standard and it's Donald Trump. Um, there's this line from Jerry Seinfeld standup where he's talking about professional sports fans. And he says that, you know, you're actually rooting for the clothes. Fans are so in love with the player, but if he goes to another team, they boo him. And Seinfeld said, it's the same human being in a different shirt, and now they hate him. Boo, wrong clothes. And that is what has happened with Liz Cheney and with others as well, you know, with Bill Barr, with Jim Mattis, with Mike Pence. The people are the same people, and they have the same principles. The one thing they are not doing, actually, is having continued allegiance to Donald Trump. They actually have allegiance to their party. And this is what's what I mean by such a striking thing and something that really makes me sad and a bit fearful. There's been this, you know, people of some Republicans have called other Republicans rhino for a while now, Republican in name only. And that kind of thing has been leveled now at Liz Cheney. But it means, of course, Republican in name only. The irony is the people who are utilizing it now, really, they're the ones who are rhinos because it's a Republican in only one name. The name is Donald Trump. That's what makes you a Republican. 
is the point I'm trying to make. That's not actually what's supposed to make anybody any kind of party. So the idea that there is a person who was identified with the party and the country and the people and the truth, and that if you will go against that person, you are going against the party and the nation and the people and the truth, that is singular. It's the kind of thing that used to happen in totalitarian regimes when one leader would set up whatever the narrative happened to be, and it could change day by day, and you followed that narrative, and that meant you followed the the leader as well. So we're not that kind of country, but that's the kind of thing that happens there. And so there's, I can be humorous about it by invoking the Seinfeld thing with uh, with Liz Cheney and boo, wrong wrong uniform, but there is a much more bitter kind of thing underneath that. That's what I hope that these hearings ultimately are able to undermine somewhat. And to show people a little bit of these are the selves you've been. This is the kind of path you're moving along. Listen, just abandon that and realize that if you have certain principles, and we hope you do, stick with those who have those principles and not just have allegiance to, to one person who, who says that I am I am the state, you know, like Louis the Fourteenth in France. One of the things that's really I found frankly surprising is how much buy-in the committee has gotten from high-level people. I thought that was going to be one of the problems of this when they first announced this committee was, well, the way that Trump world plays ball, they're just going to get, you know, they're just going to get stonewalled and they're going to get drugged through the mud or they're just going to keep trying to run out the clock. And it's fascinating to me that they've gotten, you know, you met like Pat Cipollone, White House counsel, like they have gotten these people to speak on the record and we it would appear truthfully, uh, under oath. And, you know, now there's even talk like you hear Mike Pence talking about how he might, you know, testify, you know, uh, he's trying to talk about it being unprecedented because of his position. I think, uh, you know, people ransacking the Capitol was unprecedented. So when something happened that's unprecedented, it's going to lead to other unprecedented things having to happen in in response. But uh, are you surprised how it seems relatively easily they've gotten so many high level people to to kind of spill hmm. well it all depends on how you know how easily we're going to define e- i think we've lowered the bar for for how how easy thing are because you still have lindsey graham who's not testifying but is also saying that we we need to re- release the entire affidavit from marlago in the name of transparency but he's not going to he's not going to testify so there's plenty of people who won't and are still avoiding that and who did for a while until a kind of momentum started to to generate but I still am surprised by by the total number overall. And it seems to me there is this kind of battle for the soul of the party among Republicans, a, a soul of the Republican Party. And that's what Liz Cheney said in her concession speech, among other things. She said, I, I could have won. I could have done it. All I had to do was endorse the big lie. And of course, I would still be here. I just wasn't going to do that. And Mike Pence you know, could be saying something like that, too. Mike Pence is still an arch conservative. And even the way his most recent comments still said like, well, you know, this is really sketchy, this idea of doing a raid on Mar-a-Lago. And yet, you know what? I think we should back off of the criticism of the rank and file people in the FBI and in law enforcement. We're the party of law and order. He didn't say you couldn't attack somebody who's the head of that agency. And so, but for all that, that's still a long way to go. He's he's come a long way saying that. For somebody who used to be in administration, Mike Pence could absolutely be somebody who's strategizing down the road and thinking, you know what, I, I've got a certain bet. My bet is not the same as Kevin McCarthy. He's made his bed and his bet on that bed is he's going all in 
with Trump. But I could go, likely as Cheney, and try to defend the principles and and uh, and maybe in five years, 10 years, whenever things come back to normal, hopefully, I'll be you know out there looking like a, smelling like a rose. We have referenced the Mar-a-Lago situation. We actually had another episode or another edition of this discussion that we had to table that maybe we'll release on our Greatest Hits album in a few years uh, because of what happened at Mar-a-Lago and it kind of changed the context of things. This is kind of not connected to January 6th, but you can't really talk about January 6th without talking uh, about this. Uh, We're really in uncharted waters here because we've never really had a situation like this where it appears classified information was taken by a president and he wasn't truthful when he was asked about it. They tried to hide it. They gave some, but not all. Uh, What is your take kind of overall on, on how this is going to play out? I'm blown away. Totally blown away. It's one of those things where they used to talk about this, I think, probably apocryphal Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. I've never known anybody who's been able to find the attribution for that, but it made sense to me. May you live in interesting times. It sounds like a fine thing to live in interesting times, but you know what? You don't really want to. You want to live in un- these are interesting <laughs> times. And so that is, this is wild what's, what's playing out here. The main thing is there's so much that is beyond the tip of the iceberg, which we're seeing right now, that it makes it impossible to do projections. That sounds like a cop-out. I'm just trying to be trying to be realistic. We, we saw all those 11 boxes being carted out. Other than that, we were told that there were a few golf tees and cocktail napkins and, and menus that were not classified. Other than that, we know that a lot of things in there were marked classified. Some of them marked you know, top secret uh, and, and SCI documents. Um, and so we can't know what's in there right now. And some of what's going to happen may depend on that. What I am um, mostly interested to see how it plays out is that idea of there being informants now that helped to make this happen. And informants that quite likely could be coming from Trump's inner circle. You already talked about sort of surprise in the hearings at getting a a number of high-level people coming to bat and playing ball. So you you and I, we probably a lot of our listeners read the same kind of publications. There's speculation all over the place about who it could be because there was very detailed stuff that was going to come out in the affidavit about, about the, the where certain things were hidden. There was a leather pouch that something was in the safe, where to look to find the safe, that really only somebody on the inside would have known. There's speculation that it could be Melania Trump, that it, uh, that it could be uh, Jared Kushner, all kind of different uh, speculations have come, come out there. But the fact that there could be real insiders or actually uh, turning, in a sense, state's witness is to me fascinating because even not knowing what's in those boxes, that changes the possible landscape of what could you know possibly happen. And not for nothing, it is amazing to me, and this kind of goes back to the Trump's all powerful, but Trump's also easily swayed weak discussion we had earlier. This is a, a man who made a lot of political hay in 2016, leading lock her up chance because of Hillary Clinton's server and you know, mishandling of secure information. And now we've come full circle to where 
the guy who was making those allegations or making that hay is now shown to have boxes of classified materials at his house. But now suddenly it's not that big a deal. And you see some Republicans uh, tap dancing in front of the cameras talking about, well, we don't know. There's classified and then there's like classified. You're almost putting the double secret probation in front of it. And we don't know what it was. And, you know, I think it was Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin talked about, well, I feel like Mar-a-Lago is a pretty secure place. So it's not that big a deal. I mean, it's not surprising, but it, it just almost makes your head spin how how hypocritical this all is. That's true. And we, we also, just like you're saying, we shouldn't be surprised there's a self-interested politician. We shouldn't, of course, be surprised that there's hypocrisy in politics. We all kind of come to expect that. And yet, as I said before, there's levels and there's levels. And I think it would be a good strategy for someone who is uh, involved with elections both the midterms and then, uh, you know, in 2024, to put together some footage, some quick side-by-side footage of just statements. This statement in 2016, then that statement, this statement about lock her up, then this statement about you're trying to weaponize things and and, and persecute your, your enemies. Um, here saying that how could this person possibly have gone and taken classified, like 100, 110 classified emails. By the way, I don't think Hillary Clinton should just can be completely let off. There's no, no and I, I, come I, out. yeah. 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 No, I right? agree. So this is not a Trump versus Clinton thing. It's more about what somebody said about that figure back then. It was a, the issue was classified documents and what this person did with them in an unsafe location. And then, well, look, either these were unclassified or declassified or it was safe or there's nothing here to see. All those things you're talking about. It just takes it to a new level. There's just no question about it. Um, the really. I don't know if it's a surprising thing or not, but saddening thing is that to a certain percentage of Trump's base, it seems like that still doesn't matter. We talked about the fact-based community, the reality-based community that that was being used in the in uh, George W. Bush's administration by people who opposed him. We're in a different level of fact-based versus non-fact-based, and people be, being willing to say, along with Trump, anything that is said that goes against Trump is fake news. It's a false flag. Anything, anything that Donald Trump does has to be okay by definition, like what you now um, have being said, well, look, Trump said verbally that anything that leaves uh, the Oval Office is automatically declassified right away. And that's just it. It just, it's kind of like watching a, a little kid playing a game of ray guns and force fields and the little kid saying, hey, anything you shoot at me with that ray gun, zap, there, there's a force field around me, nothing affects me at all. But he's actually apparently got a lot of followers who are fine with that. And that's something that really just can't be allowed to, to stand. You know, um, to Lenny Bruce, the comedian who most people haven't, you know, don't know his material that well. They might know of him because of the, the Amazon Prime series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But Lenny Bruce, pathbreaking comedian, uh, 50s and 60s, he had a routine where he said, listen, if you're discovered uh, having an affair, just deny it. Deny everything. Just deny it. Even if they've got pictures, deny it. If they walk in on you, deny it. And you know what he said? The chances are your significant other they're going to believe you because they want to believe you. And that thing of just deny it over, if there had been a blue dress with a stain on it in this particular circumstance, like it wasn't Bill Clinton's uh, impeachment, Donald Trump would deny it. It wouldn't matter. You know, it's a plant that planting that DNA evidence that it, it, it's just, it didn't actually happen at all. And it's one thing for him to say it. It's something else again for his followers to believe it. And that's the thing, again, I think we actually need to really fight together in a bipartisan way against. And then on policies, let the chips fall where they may. And you mentioned, you know, anything taken here, I say is 
declassified. It reminded me of an episode of The Office where Michael Scott, Steve Carell's character, is having financial problems. And he's (laughs) talked about he should declare bankruptcy (laughs) because it'll make it all go away. And he literally just walks into the office, say, I yells, I declare bankruptcy and thinks that's going to fix anything. That's the first thing that came to my mind when you hear people talking about, well, he decided that there anything that comes out is declassified. Wait, one last thing on that. He doesn't, he then Oscar, the accountant says to him, well, by the way, you can't just say bankruptcy and change anything. And he says, I didn't say it. I declared, I declared it. it. Yeah. Yes. And that's, <laughs> it's a category mistake. Yes. <laughs> so finally getting back to January 6th, uh, more hearings to come. It sounds like in the fall, what are you looking for? What are you or is it really kind of impossible to tell because the world as we're recording this in, in the middle of August is going to be completely different from the world in the middle of September because how fast moving this thing's been? I think it's absolutely right. It's impossible to tell. Liz Cheney is now officially uh, going to be a lame lame duck. Uh, and we'll see if that changes anything in her approach. I think she probably knew she was going to lose anyhow. But uh, just, just difficult to tell. I think we're going to see... If I had to predict anything, which you know I don't love doing, uh, if I had to predict anything, it would simply be that we're going to see more people that we didn't expect before testifying. As you get that momentum, as there's this gravitational pull of more people, whether you want to call it rats leaving a, a sinking ship or whether you want to call it just people jumping on what is seen as the winning the winning play. And partly the, when I say winning here, it's not just winning an election, it's winning history. We talked about this in the very first podcast we did. Liz Cheney invoked history that kind of Hamilton approach that history had its eyes on you. And more people, I think, are going to come forward and say, all right, fine, I'm going to, you can use my testimony. And so we're just going to see who those people are and what they've got to say. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.